Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano, the editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and I'm joined by our managing editor, Matt Lowell. And this is the ninth episode of our Greens with Envy podcast. We're about ready to turn double digits, so we thank everyone for listening to this monthly podcast. And if you haven't listened to Greens with Envy, you're probably wondering what the heck is this? Well, basically, Matt and I get together once a month in our Northeast Ohio recording studio, although one month we did do it driving back from Myrtle Beach uh, on our way home from the Carolinas GCSA show, so we did record one in the car, but we, we go back to our studio and reflect on what we saw in the past month and talk about people we met, places we visited, and happenings in the industry, and this episode, Matt, is going to start with a happening in the industry and a story that you broke this week. So we learned... Suddenly and out of nowhere, that Cub Cadet has halted production of its autonomous mowing operation. Matt worked on the story. He broke it. We posted it on social media. Some of you that are on social media maybe haven't even seen it yet, but it's going to be in our e-newsletter and in our March issue. Matt, what was your uh, reaction when you heard this? You're a little bit newer into the industry than I am, but you know how big autonomous is in the golf market. Right. Well, and... With a few years of coverage in manufacturing and more industrial settings, autonomy there is enormous uh, and well ahead of where it is in the golf market. And what surprised me when I got the email uh, from Brian Nets of Presidio Golf Club out in San Francisco, who I talked with for our March cover story uh, about technology, was it's not just production that Cub Cadet has halted. It is complete support of all the RG3 autonomous mowers that are out there and there are well into the hundreds uh out there um yeah maybe not a hundred courses but when you add the individual units at each facility that's using them yeah it's it's over a hundred and they've also shelved the rgx uh, which was on display just a few weeks ago at gis so it took a lot of people by surprise uh at cup at cup cadet but also at other companies that this technology that they had on display on the floor in Orlando two weeks ago uh, is gone. It, it's gone. It's not supported. It is in the past. And in the course of conversations throughout the day on Wednesday this week, uh, in reporting the story, the, the theme that kind of came out from superintendents was that they had found, Cub Cadet had found uh, a technical challenge. It was going to take a really long time. Uh, comparatively, to fix it and get it up to speed. Um, Cub Cadet's official line, and this this came from Tony Whalen, uh, the director of sales and marketing within their golf and, and turf division, was that they did not want to put out an inferior product or a product that they could not put their you know stamp of quality on. And I'm paraphrasing Tony's quote there. He was much more eloquent than I was. Um, and some of the superintendents posited that maybe it would take so long to fix that challenge that it would not make business sense for them to continue to run the division and fix the challenge and probably manufacture some products as well for 12, 18, maybe even 24 months without really any revenue coming in from that division. There's a lot of crazy things to this story. Uh, nobody saw this coming, including no. the superintendents affected. Could you imagine being in the, the Bay Area like Brian is and getting a, a call or an email 
on a Tuesday saying that your mower is no longer supported. I mean, it's California. They're mowing. There's year-round golf there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like you have a triplex or a walking greens mower, and if a company decided to halt their operation with that, well, maybe you could get another year or two out of the mower and have time to decide what you're going to do. This puts some superintendents in some binds, whether they're in the golf season or getting ready for the the golf season in different parts of the country. That's a crazy level to the story. Another crazy level to the story is that two weeks ago at the golf industry show, Cub Cadet had a presence there. People were watching videos of the RGX. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were, were trading success stories with the RG3. It's also crazy because everyone that you interviewed for your story loved the product and said Absolutely. that it worked and it made their greens have a better quality of cut and helped with their labor situation. This wasn't a product that the people that were using were dissatisfied with. And really, you know, we're pretty plugged in, man. We didn't really hear any complaints about the technology other than the the price that it cost and the fact that with the RG3, you had to set beacons up around the green and mm-hmm. had to have a person around. So there are conflicting uh, stories on how much labor it actually saves. So that's another uh, crazy level to it that this was something that that worked. And I also thought it was pretty crazy, but refreshing that Tony Whelan took time to talk to you. You know, he just didn't give you the, uh, the corporate speak. He gave you the official company line, but there wasn't just a statement there. He talked to Matt, he talked to golf course industry and that, uh, Tony deserves major credit for that. And so do the superintendents who talked to you. They were stunned. Everybody was stunned by this. The competitors of Cub Cadet were stunned by that. Uh, this is this is one of the the bigger breaking news stories in my my six years of being here at golf course industry because there's so much fascination with autonomous mowing. Uh, you know, our two most or our most read story on our website in 2019 was uh, John Deere's announcement that it, it's developing autonomous mowing for the, the golf market, and our two most read stories on our website golfcourseindustry.com this year were were Toro. Uh, with its GeoLink autonomous mowing development announcement at the Golf Industry Show and this Cub Cadet story. So the three most read stories on our website over the last 13 month, months have all been about autonomous mowing. Well, and that's obviously because of the labor situation. When I talked with Brian Nets, again, at Presidio, the first superintendent I talked with and the one who told us that this was happening, um, he, being in San Francisco, was able to use the autonomous mowers. And yeah, he sent a crew member out with them, but the the mower would mow the greens while he had um, he deployed his, his crew members into the bunkers. They're right on the bay. They're very close to the bay. They've got crazy wind. And the guys would hand, hand rake the bunkers. So yes, it is expensive technology. And yes, you send guys out with it, but you find ways to, to maximize the technology, and in looking at some of the comments, uh, and this is to take nothing away from anybody's opinion, but the the two most common comments uh, on Twitter and on Facebook on the story that we posted earlier this week was, "That's so expensive, and you still have to send guys out." Well, sure, absolutely. But yeah, we you, had those you comments. Find, you find ways to to maximize the situation. So, in in talking with Brian, um, he had saved. I think it was probably it was not quite what he would pay. Uh, another crew member and it's not that he doesn't want to hire a crew member it's that being in that area he can't always fill it the last time he had to hire a crew member it took him two two and a half months to fill the position and now he has to hire another crew member and it's going to cost him fifty sixty thousand dollars ultimately um he's got to go with uh, some older uh, mowers that he had on hand and he, he had not converted them to t-mowers which was his original plan and so 
the, the financial angle of it, yeah. I mean, this this is going to cost some folks some money. Brian Nets uh, is looking at his budget and saying, you know, there's going to be an asterisk uh, next to at least the first quarter uh, of this year. That's their second quarter of their fiscal year. Yeah, they're they're huge ramifications to this story, Matt. I mean, yeah, they're the short term ones with uh, the effect it's going to have on those facilities. Uh, I keep using the word crazy. It was also crazy when we saw the social media reaction to the story. Is how many superintendents said on social media or at the golf industry show how close they were to maybe pulling the plug on this, or, or not pulling the plug, but pulling the trigger on this technology and, right. and, and purchasing it and getting into a package where they start using it at their respective courses we had some witty um social media comments too. our friend sean rehorn up at aldera golf club outside seattle uh quote retweeted our story saying the robots quit obviously that was a jab at some of the labor issues that superintendents are having uh i thought that was funny sean's always funny on social media if you know him you understand where he's coming from he's a big friend of uh, many people in the industry including golf course industry but uh maybe the biggest part of this story is what's going to happen next i mean cub cadets obviously in a very difficult spot they still have their mm-hmm. affinicut walking real mower that's being offered in golf and sports turf but uh they're going to be trust issues with anything they do in golf moving forward because of how suddenly this all happened and there's going to have to be some trust that's repaired by cub cadet if they want to be a long-term player in the in, in the golf market but there's also big ramifications for the other companies developing autonomous technology you know th- what does this do to the confidence that people have with it that it can just end so suddenly it's not like i said it's not like having a traditional triplex or walking mower or uh, a riding fairway or rough mower this is something where when it ends it ends because of the gps and R- rtk mm-hmm. technology that's involved in it and i had a superintendent text me uh, after our story broke, I think it's going to hurt people's confidence in new technology, and they're going to be slower to adopt. I wonder if it's going to hurt the superintendent's confidence or if it's going to hurt uh, boards or members' confidence more. Because I think a lot of superintendents, not everybody, it's not universal. Uh, you know, you talk with someone like uh, like Justin Daigle, who I talked with for the story of Perry Park Country Club south of Denver, and he's all in. Like He's, he's already looking at, at what the next next technology the next level of autonomy is but some superintendents will probably be more hesitant but i think the real hang-up is going to be in boards and or members saying eh this happened once we can't really trust it let's stick with what we have and i think you're right i think it will maybe not universally but it will have a ripple effect on other companies uh whether it's mowers or uh, other robotic companies uh, trying to kind of make inroads in the market. Yeah, it's really going to uh, make the companies that are developing autonomous mowing technology for golf operations to be even more methodical than they're being right now. And this is something where absolutely nothing c- can go wrong. Things are going to go wrong, but nothing major like this can happen. Uh, there's a huge trust factor that's uh, involved because this is so much different than how things have been done over the last 100-plus uh, years that golf courses have been made in the United States. Uh, it just, it's just a giant story. Uh, you know, it, There's a lot that can go wrong on a golf course. It's not like a, a sports field or a home yard where you can have a robot go and kind of just let it, let it do its thing. I mean, golf courses are 100 acres, sometimes more than 200 acres for 18 holes, and a lot can happen even if you have technology that's reliable one day. A lot can happen from one day to the next, whether it's, it's weather or, or traffic on the golf course that's not supposed to be on the golf course. There are so many things that can happen uh, when you have such a, a 
very terrain over a vast distance. And I almost think that we're further away now from widespread autonomous mowing technology in the golf market. Uh, if you look five years down the road, than we were before this announcement. If it wasn't interesting before, and it was, it'll be even more interesting, I think, now. Kind of looking at what the companies still in that sector of the market do, what other tech companies do, and just kind of following along a lot of superintendents. Um, you know, the folks the folks I talked with for the story, Brian uh, Nets at Presidio and Justin Daigle at Perry Park, also talked with John Shaw, uh, who was one of the first superintendents in the country. Yeah, I saw, I, I saw at, the RG3 in, in action on his golf course. In, five years ago. Yep, five years ago in 2015 uh, during a visit through western Pennsylvania. And it was fascinating to see it then. And anytime you see a robot going around anywhere, it is kind of interesting. And, wow, this is one of the, like I said, this is one of the bigger uh, stories and one of the more unexpected stories in my, my six years at golf course industry. And uh, there are many, many short-term and long-term ramifications, and we'll definitely be following this moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on, uh, I mentioned to each of those uh, superintendents and directors I talked with, you know, let me know what you're doing moving forward. If you're listening and uh, you used uh, the RG3 or you used any other autonomous mowers, um, reach out. Let me know what you're working on. Let me know, especially if you used the RG3, let me know your solution going forward and, and just keep in touch and, and let me know what uh, uh, your plans are for 2020 and beyond. M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Just call him Mower Matt. From now on, he's going to be working on all mower stories for golf course industry. Okay. Uh, it's a little better than the nickname I think I gave you the other day. But anyway, mm-hmm. on to, the, on to the, uh, the place where people saw some of this autonomous uh, – mowing technology that's being developed in the in the golf industry the golf industry show we were there geez just two weeks ago that seems like eternity uh when you go from florida back to cold it does seem like a long time that you were just in florida but anyway matt it was your first golf industry show i know you wrote a story about this for our february issue and also for our website and our fast and firming newsletter but i wanted to uh, get your on the air thoughts here in a podcast format first time at the golf industry show what were you thinking what were you thinking going into it on Monday, and what were you thinking coming away from it on that Thursday? Well, it's great to have everybody together, or at least more people uh, than at a regional show. Just the the sheer number of folks is fantastic. It would have been great if more people had hung around, I think, um, the whole week, but obviously you can't book out four, five, six days to be away from your course a lot of times. Had some great conversations. I think, and this is something you made clear during the show and I mentioned in my piece for the magazine and the website is it was just so spread out. Um, the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando is the second largest convention center in the country behind McCormick Place in Chicago. And the show used so much of that space. It just sprawled to the point where you didn't get those lobby conversations like you get at more regional shows. And I think that hurt. A little bit. You know, you go, you go there for the contacts. You go there for the education and the trade show, obviously. But you go there for the contacts and the conversations. And, and I feel like you didn't get as much of that as you probably would have liked. It made quality networking next to impossible, Matt. Right. Especially on Monday and Tuesday. The education was in the North Building. And the seminar, the free education was in the North Building. And the seminars were in the West Building. And they were nowhere near each other. So you saw a lot of people walking down the walkways. And you'd be like, hi, Billy. How you doing? Hi, Rick. How you doing? And you would talk. And... 
both of us would look down at, at our clock. Oh, I got to be somewhere in five minutes. That's you know a four minute and fifty nine second walk away. Mm-hmm. So, and even on the trade show floor, it just did seem so sprawled out. It made it tough. You know, if you had a lot of meetings or a lot of prearranged visits or, or things on your schedule, it just made it very difficult to have those impromptu conversations with people you know or even people that you wanted to meet or just met uh there really wasn't that central lobby business center on monday tuesday uh it was just it 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 was interesting and i felt like that i i met some people there that i didn't know before but that's because maybe we were hanging out at our booth or somebody else else's booth and they noticed us and they stopped us and wanted to talk about the magazine or a story idea but it was very challenging to leave that setup knowing more people than who you knew before you went to the show. I would not disagree with that. I think that's pretty fair. But there were a lot of good things that happened there too. Yeah, I mean, of we're not it just it was that's, the setup. It wasn't yeah. it, we're, we're not um it, it was just tough to do networking and honestly, Matt, my biggest trade show moments or the ones that are most valuable to me and our purpose at golf course industry aren't the scheduled booth visits or events or those impromptu conversations that you have in a lobby or a hallway or on the trade show floor and it was just more difficult to to have those conversations yeah Uh, the quality of the seminars that i sat in on though and the quality of the conversations that we did have uh i thought were top notch i would have loved to have had a little more uh in terms of great conversations um but maybe next year in Vegas when it's not as spread out. Yeah, just think about how tough it must be to plan education for a national uh, golf industry show. Think about this. I was thinking about this this morning when I was interviewing a superintendent in Massachusetts for a story, and I also interviewed a superintendent in the Woodlands, Texas, for the same story, just how different their golf courses are and how what one is doing really doesn't relate it at all to what the other one's doing. And it's really like that, you know, with the 14,000 plus golf courses, in the United States, I mean, every one is so different. Every situation is so different. So try putting together an event that has mass appeal or, or that can tell a, a story or a session or a seminar that resonates with everyone. And that's one of the biggest challenges we face here at golf course industry or anyone that runs a, a magazine or a publication in the, in the golf business is trying to tell a, a story or a, a podcast or or do a video. I don't know how many videos are being done in turf anymore. It seems like that fad's kind of uh, faded away. Uh, just trying to produce content or education that, that appeals to a mass audience is very, very uh, tricky, but they do a nice job of it at the golf industry show. I know they spend you know, hundreds and thousands of hours planning out those seminars and free education conferences. And the uh, uh, you know, we call them free education conferences, but they are they really free when you're paying a couple couple hundred dollars to attend the wow. uh, the the trade show or the event. That, that's kind of a interesting term to say the least. You're not paying more on top of it. It's yeah. no additional cost. That's all. We could call it non paid sem- education or something included. Included edu- education. I like that one. But no, the included education was good, and you sat in on probably more sessions than. Than I did. I sat sat on an excellent one uh, with Armin Suni, who talked pretty much an hour by himself about superintendent pro relationships. And Armin's one of the most connected and influential people in the golf industry. So it was good to have an opportunity to sit in on one of his uh, included education sessions and hear what he has to say. And it was interesting just observing the room afterwards and how many people go up to an Armin Suni and give him a business card and and try to make a connection with him because he's certainly someone that could help advance a superintendent's career. And I know you sat in on some good 
uh, sessions that were very uh, varied and had different speakers. I, I got to attend uh, the ASGCA education for a little bit on the Tuesday of the, the Golf Industry Show, and that was the first time the ASGCA and the Golf Course Builders Association of America uh, were official partners of the Golf Industry Show, and the ASGCA decided to include their winter meeting and some education, and the, I, the people that went to it uh, said that they really enjoyed it. Uh, the, the number of uh, people wearing tartan jackets in that room outnumbered people that were just wearing blazers or golf shirts. So it was kind of the uh, it was a great room to photograph because you had all the tartan jackets sitting in the crowd and up at the uh, podium presenting. But no, there were definitely some good things that happened in Orlando. Did the show advance the industry? No, it's not that type of show. I mean, you don't come out of these things saying, wow, you know, there was really a uh, product that's going to change everything that was released that nobody saw coming or, oh, there was a topic that was discussed that nobody really knew about it. No, nothing nothing that really happens at the golf industry show sets the industry agenda anymore. It's just changed. It's a different time. But but if you if your club's willing to pay for you to go and you have the time and you're maybe not getting that um, what you need close to home, it's, I mean, it, it's worth attending. It's a tough decision. It's very, very expensive. I mean, I, you know, I, I just saw how much we spent at golf course industry taking six people down there and imagine, you know, trying to convince that to your, your club leadership that you just need to send one person there when your clubs are always looking to try to keep the budget flat or, or not add that many more expenses. So it's, it's a tough sell for a lot of superintendents, but there's still um, hundreds, maybe even a few thousand that are able to make that sell and, and, and get to the golf industry show every year. You, when you outlined this episode, listed your top four highlights in no particular order. Number one, at least in, in how you wrote it, not necessarily the best, was a contributor dinner uh, where we brought in our columnists and some of our regular contributors, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the group run, which I just was exhausted, and I missed that one, and the formal 5K uh, sponsored by Syngenta, which was fantastic. But you also wrote Oh, you're down... missing the GCI Tweet Up 20, too, yeah. sponsored by Aqua oh, yeah. Trolls. Uh, GCI so that's... Tweet Up 20. But you also wrote That's my down... dream uh, golf Korean... history show foursome right there but you also wrote down korean rice bowls yeah one of the things about orlando that makes it real tricky to go to a uh, show or event is you don't really have time to do a business lunch outside the convention center even uh, we talked about how how sprawled the, the convention center is well how about how sprawled university or universal drive is i mean it takes a long time to walk from the convention center to where there are multiple eating options so you're pretty much forced to eat in the convention center it's probably uh even more evidence why the, the convention industry and business is a bit of a racket right not only do they have you there paying the exorbitant show fees and and exhibitor fees you have to eat there because you're going to lose two and a half hours of your day if you decide to go well. off site for, for lunch and and not to mention the seventeen dollar parking. I mean, geez, you can almost park in an NFL game for that, for that price or a college football game. But yeah, it's certainly a, a big business, the convention industry, and a lot of people are making some profits off of uh, people that are attending these shows. But yeah, the Korean rice bowl. So you're probably wondering why are we talking about Korean rice bowls? Well, like I said, there weren't many eating options in the convention center, and you didn't really have time to go off site. So three of the four days, I, I found something that worked for me, ate it. And I was thinking that next Monday when we came back to the office, how much I missed having a Korean rice bowl for work. So think think a Chipotle bowl with the rice and the cheese and the uh, some beans and just kind of a different style of chicken, more of a sweetie, uh, sweeter chicken than what you'd get at a, a Chipotle or a place like that. I just love that you didn't want pulled pork, despite being south of the Mason-Dixon line. Florida's not really the south. Chicken, Dis Chicken's healthier than pulled pork. Despite 
being named Guy, which could very easily be translated to the French Guy. You did not want crepes. There was a crepe station. You just wanted these Korean rice bowls. Yeah, what you have to do when you travel is just find something that's relatively healthy that works for you and just kind of keep going back to it. Now, uh, some of the dinners we had were pretty interesting, and we won't bore people by going into those, nor will we mention to our bosses here how much some of those cost. But we can talk about the contributor dinner, which was loads of fun. Uh, we brought in all of our columnists, uh, obviously Matthew Wharton, who debuted on the back page in January, and Tim Morgan, and Henry DeLozier, who kind of ran, uh, he facilitated, he was he was the point man, uh, brought up a lot of points. Brand new uh, Brad Klein, who just started, Brad Last Klein just started in January. We also had a few of our regular Anthony Williams was there, Trent Bouts, Williams. our friend Trent Bouts, who's Trent one Bouts. of the most talented uh, journalists I've ever met, was there. We had our, our sales team there, our marketing team there, our publisher Dave Zai was there. Uh, you and I were there. It was really a special evening. Uh, we won't really get too much into it here on the podcast, but there are definitely some ideas and things that were discussed in that meeting that are going to make golf course industry even stronger, not only in print, but also digitally and in, in this podcast network. Yeah, a lot of ideas came out of that dinner, and that was uh, $3, three, $3, three hours, and uh, I, I wish know. it only cost $3. I, I think, how much How much did it cost, Thirty grand? No, it wasn't, no, it wasn't that I'm much. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It was, it was three hours well spent. Um, that was that was fantastic, and to, to get all those people together, I think, was pretty special, and that's one of the things you can do at the Golf Industry Show, is just because there are so many people, you have that opportunity at some point, uh, maybe not in the lobby, to, to just get people together who don't normally see each other. And, and my advice would be is that if you have a group dinner or a group lunch or a group brainstorming session where you really think some impactful ideas could come of it, do it early in the week. Do it, don't do it on Wednesday or Thursday where everyone's kind of scatterbrained. Do it, do it Sunday night or Monday night. Get it out of the way where people are fresh and uh, uh, have a lot on their mind that they planned before going to the golf industry show. Yeah. One of the things that you loved, I know, during the show itself – uh, because I saw what you wound up retweeting and tweeting and quote tweeting during the event was the ninth annual GCI tweet up hashtag GCI tweet up twenty sponsored by Aquatrolls. It was at the Aquatrolls booth, and for some reason you gave me a microphone and put me on the stage like three days into my first GIS. Um, that was a blast. I think we had five of the award winners there. That was a lot of fun. It's the most random event. At Absolutely. the golf industry show, you never know who's going to attend. You know some of the winners are going to be there. Sometimes up until the last minute, you don't know if the winners that said they were going to be there are actually going to show up. Uh, it, it is, uh, yeah, my job during it is to live tweet it. I've done that all six, uh, all six of the ones I've been to. I love it. It makes me feel like I'm back in my sports writing days commenting on a game. And Matt did a wonderful job of hosting it. I mean, what, what a really uh, tough spot to be in, your first golf industry show, have a mic at a random event like that on the show floor where people are drinking and try to make it a coherent award ceremony. You did a great job. The Aqua Trolls team, Colleen Clifford, who we work with, is uh, just absolutely fabulous at helping us with that event. Uh, Matt Foster, the Aqua Trolls uh, CEO and president, who's a former golf course uh, superintendent, he really gets it. And every year we go to the show, it seems like Aquatrolls has a bigger and bigger booth because they keep expanding. I mean, they just acquired Redox this year, and they're adding more products and solutions to their portfolio. So it's a great company to partner with. And yep, next year will be number ten in Las Vegas, and number one was in Las Vegas. And I did not attend the first one. I, I was not at Golf Course Industry 
at the time, but I heard that that one was basically with a bullhorn out on the sidewalk <laughs> because uh, because uh, it wasn't even allowed to be a, a ceremony at the golf industry show at that point. Obviously, things have changed, and we're allowed to do it on the show floor now, which uh, we're thankful that the GCSAA allows us and Aqua Trolls that opportunity. But uh, it'll be uh, a little more sophisticated than the first one, but still probably just as random. Yeah, and can it, you have random sophistication? I guess you can. Sure, it was coherent because Aquatrols had an open bar, but I was not drinking. So yeah, so that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and the two other things on my list were every uh, GIS Wednesday at six a.m. We do an informal group run. It's a networking thing. It's probably the best networking event at the golf industry show that I go to. And there's a core group of us that you know, got a little bit bigger this year that go outside and, you know, run for 45 minutes to an hour and talk about not so much golf, but life and how we're doing. And we've become friends through this. And, you know, it'll be next year, 6 a.m., Wednesday morning in Las Vegas. Man, we're going to see some interesting things running the Las Vegas Strip at 6 a.m. on a Wednesday Wednesday morning next February. Yeah, I a mean, lot. Some people will, uh, I guess, just be starting their day. Some people's night will be ending. Some people ending may at six. People are still out at six. What are you talking some about? Some people may uh, not be in a coherent state that we run by. Some people may be sleeping in a spot that they did not expect to sleep that night. So it's going to be a fun group run, and uh, everyone should do that. And then the five K has been a big hit. This was the fourth one. The fir- first one was in Orlando. Uh, three years ago, 2017. So, yeah, they've done it 2017, 18, 19, and 20. So there are four uh, 5Ks now. Sagenna stepped up and sponsored that. It it benefits the Environmental uh, Fund of the, the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. A lot of GCSAA staff members are there. I got to you know speak with, with uh, CEO Rhett Evans for like four minutes during the run. It was nice to have a chat with him. Uh, he was uh, running on fumes by that point because uh, I don't think he gets to sleep much at the golf industry show, and I, he had a place to be after that. So uh, it was cool to see him. He he has a lot of energy, and uh, you know it's great that the that the uh, CEO of the association is out there running alongside the superintendents and and suppliers and other people that that go to this run every year. So that was a lot of fun. I I didn't like um, losing to you, Matt, but you definitely are on a better training program than me and more are more of a scientific. I guess there's a science to running and an art to running. And mm, Matt has the science of it mastered, and I kind of just do it as a random art. Well, before we get into that, it, it was nice as well. Rhett was at the finish line, and I didn't recognize him in the dark, but I wound up standing behind him giving high fives to people at the finish line for like five or six minutes. So that was a lot of fun. The other thing was it was not a 5K. Uh, according to my watch, it was like a 5.46 or a 5.48K. So everybody's times were a little slower. It was like 3.38 miles. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great event. Uh, I've been building up my mileage a little bit more every week. Uh, and I'm, I think I'm up to about 20, I think this week is 25 and change ran a half marathon right before. So building back up for, uh, for a few events later this year, ultimately the Akron marathon in September. So, and you had a dinged up big toe. So I I just, I couldn't lose to you with a dinged up toe because I knew if you were healthy, it'd be a closer race. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the point is we got up early. We were out doing it. We were doing something that was good for our body. If you're not a runner or a walker or a biker or a swimmer, you know, seriously consider getting into it. We talked about this on our last Greens with Envy. Uh, The fitness side of the industry is sometimes lacking. In fact, in our March issue, one of our wonderful contributors, Lee Carr, is 
has a story designed to help people get into a fitness regime. And she talked to some superintendents and some fitness experts, and she just submitted it this morning. I know it's going to be excellent, so check that story out. Yeah, just move. You know, even uh, I think the folks who listen to this podcast probably move more than maybe the average person just because of the nature of the job. But, you know, just move. That's all you have to do. You don't have to do any running or bicycling or swimming. Just just move, whether it's moving across the room at the end of the day. 20 minutes a day. You have it. I know everyone says they're busy and they don't have time for it, but 20 minutes a day is all it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I try to move run-walk combo an hour a day uh, and then swim two or three times a week and do some yoga and do some core. Not as much as you, but a little bit. Yeah, so Matt and I both got to Florida a bit early for different reasons. Matt got down there to see his parents who live in the Orlando area. And he also ran a half marathon the Sunday before the golf industry show. Perfect weather. I, I had a marathon too, but it was sort of a marathon of a different type. So you were, where were you, up in Tampa? I guess it would be down in Tampa or over in Tampa. Over in Tampa. Uh, I, I decided to play in the Golf Writers Association of America Championship. So a lot of people listening to this podcast are members of the GCSAA or their local chapter or association or foundation well we have something called the golf writers association of america i'm a member of it we certainly don't have the um educational offerings that are out there in the in in the turf business but we do have this annual golf tournament and i said what the heck it's the weekend before the golf industry show it's in tampa i really don't know a lot of the gwaa members because they cover pro golf they don't cover our side of the industry so i I thought i'd go down i've always wanted to go to innisbrook resort Uh, it was basically uh we spent the Friday and Saturday before GIS there, which was actually, you know, between the PGA show and the golf industry show. So that was great timing to get some people to go to it. There was a group of about 30 of us. We played uh, 18 holes. Well, we were supposed to play 18 holes on Friday on the Island course, which is a lovely Lawrence Packard layout that actually has close to 100 feet of elevation change, even though it's two miles from the Gulf of Mexico. I, I just assume that, you know, most of the golf in Florida is flat, but it was great topography. And then that next morning, we played the um, the South Course, which is another Lawrence Packard design. Lawrence Packard is like a legend at Innisbrook. In fact, he was a legend in the American Society of Golf Course Architects who lived to be 101. He died in 2014 at 101 years old. But really, he's the one that, that got Innisbrook going on the golf side. And then that Sunday, we played the Copperhead Course, which is the site of the uh, PGA Tours Valspar Championship. So we got to play a PGA Tour course. Uh, less than two months before the tournament. Um, yeah, Jason Stewart and the team there had it in excellent shape. It was overseeded with ryegrass. Uh, I made the comment to Gary D'Amato, the longtime golf writer, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, who now is uh, up there doing stuff for Killarney Media, one of the great golf writers in the country. I, I made the comment when we were playing the Copperhead course. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in New Jersey with the topography and the, and the turf varieties right now. It's just the trees look a little bit different, but it was in fabulous shape. It's going to be ready to go for the Valspar, and they're going to have a great tournament there. But we were just supposed to play 18 holes on Saturday. Well, a few of us more, um, I don't know what the word is, degenerate golf writers, word. Uh, northerners, I don't know, whatever you're called, but we went out and played some bonus golf too. So I got, I got uh, three and a half rounds in in about two and a half days. And for a northerner to do that, that was awesome. But that was a great experience. And if you ever do have a chance to play golf with strangers as part of your association and it works into your time, you know, 
go do it. You're going to meet some great people. I've already talked to Gary D'Amato on the phone since I've come back. I wrote, some, I, I met some golf writers from the metropolitan region up in uh, New York City who I'm going to get together with at Wingfoot. I got to play with uh, Mike Strauss, the GCSAA's director of communications. He made, Very smart of him to go to it and make some connections with these other golf writers that don't just cover our side of the industry. So it was a lot of fun, and Innisbrook is a, a cool place. Uh, the golf courses are fascinating. Although you, it opened in 1970, and you kind of walk around, and before you see the golf courses and the inside of the buildings, you kind of feel like you're still in the 1970s. But, no, it was a lot of fun and, you know, a chance to play a PGA Tour course on a Sunday, you know, seven or eight weeks before the, the pros play there. You know, if that doesn't get you going, then you're probably uh, shouldn't be on the golf course or involved in the golf business getting a chance to play where the pros play so close to when they do on the same course. So, you know, for me – I couldn't sleep the night before. I couldn't sleep that Saturday night. I was so excited to play the Copperhead course, even though that's a um, very difficult, challenging golf course. But there's still there's still that type of joy, and it was great to be around some writers that uh, love golf. I don't know if they loved it as much as I do. I'm, I'm beginning to find out that I might be a, an extreme of all extremes, but it was great to be around people that share that interest in the game. You are uh, you're 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 a little you're a little more into it than i think a lot of people even who write about it for yeah sure. it's uh it's crazy it's not just my job it's just not my job it's my it's my hobby it's a kind of a lifestyle uh but it was great to be in florida you know we talked in the last podcast how we went to the uh, palm beach for two days so matt and i spent almost half our time in january in florida about a week and that's week. yeah uh, well more than a week if you count palm beach and you know Whatever, it was like around 10 days each of us spent. That's a lot of time to be in Florida in January. The weather was great throughout both trips, uh, and we learned a lot. I mean, Florida is the state with the most golf courses. You know, for us, working for a national publication and getting to spend some time in Florida during its peak season, that's awesome. And Matt also got on a golf course uh, during GIS time. Do you want to talk a little bit about the field trip you made? Yeah, so this will probably be the April issue. It's not for March. It won't be April. That's our celebration oh, of municipal right. golf. Okay, so May, Jason. May, June, Justin, somewhere around. We, uh, we, we have so guys. much good content coming in that it's uh, it's becoming a fierce competition to, to get a slot in a golf course industry issue. Yeah, so late last year, I had started a story about courses that were revived by various entities, whether it was homeowners, uh, passionate homeowners associations, or new ownership but courses that were so, so close to just shutting down for good. And Cornerstone Club, I wrote about for the magazine in the November issue. Great story out in Colorado. And then the current issue coming out uh, in February, it's online right now, has a story about Champions Club in Tennessee. This was originally supposed to be just one story. And in the course of my reporting, I said, ah, these are all fantastic. These all have great superintendents and great, great groups that have kind of brought these courses back. And the third uh, was uh, La Cita. Uh, so Colorado and Tennessee and now Florida. Uh, La Cita Country Club, right over by Kennedy uh, Space Center. Beautiful course. Probably, I think, what was it built? 83, 84, somewhere in there. And it had fallen into disrepair. Uh, there are so many wild, wild stories from even just a few years ago. It wound up being purchased by a trio of sisters, one of whom is on site uh, one is in Miami, and I think the other is in Toronto. And uh, just a great group of folks there, um, Superintendent Jason Gross and uh, Jack-of-all-trades Justin Bells, 
there there are just there's a core group of people there who have helped bring this course back and it it's got a ways to go uh, they have their biggest issue right now they have too many trees they can't really take the trees out but the trees cast too much shade as obviously a lot of people listening to this podcast know and it kills grass but they can't afford to take out that many trees so there's workarounds it's basically a 5 year plan that they're on but they are on the right track and really fun to get out on a course with really great people um, who are passionate about what they do and their story and the course's story. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun to go back to La Cita at some point in, I don't know, next year or two years from now, certainly the next time GIS is in Orlando at the absolute latest, um, and see where they are. Because that's a club that could have very easily shut down. It was very, very close to just, that's it. And here they are. It, the course is still alive, and I would guess within the next five years it'll be thriving. So that'll be in the May issue fully, um, and that should wrap up for the time being the course revival series. Matt, what does Lacita mean? Did you find that out when you were there? Uh, hmm. The city? I don't know. I took Spanish. Let's see. Uh, let's go to Google. Translate, shall we? La, L-A, Cita, C-I-T-A, translation. Here we go. Quote? It means quote? I, I don't know. Well, anyway, that's just, it, it's a cool-sounding name for a, a golf course. It is, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. So we've already changed your nickname. We called you Mower Matt at the, the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But with some of the stories you've been doing in this revival series, I think you're miracle turnaround, Matt. I think that uh, you're the man that can tell the course miracle story, and you do a damn good job of it. And I know our readers are appreciating these stories because I, everybody thinks they have it tougher than everybody else, and then they hear what some of these superintendents go through in some of these situations where, where golf didn't exist anymore, it was on the brink of non-existing, and then you realize that, okay, m- maybe my situation is, isn't as bad as I thought it was. So anyway, we've covered a lot on this podcast uh, we don't have anything planned for Florida here in the short term again, but things rapidly change with our travel schedules. But we're going to be getting around a lot here in the, in, in the next few months. It's going to be a, a, um, a lot of time in the car and on planes, and, and I don't know if we'll get any trains in, but we'll be traveling a lot here in the next few months, and we're going to be talking about some of those experiences. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, you know, Thanks, Matt, for joining me and yeah our next one will be number 10 so we'll make double digits and i think i read in a book last year that that the uh like 60 percent of podcasts don't make it like past the seventh episode so sounds right we we keep going uh yeah so in the next few months i don't really have anything in february but uh heading out in march april may june going to athens ohio Twice, home of Ohio University, not Ohio State, Ohio University, the Bobcats, Green Knot. Uh, they do have a nine-hole golf course there, I believe. Uh, alma mater of uh, long-ago PGA Tour pro Dow Finsterwald, actually. Um, and let's see, going to Denver with also maybe a little side trip to Nebraska, running a half marathon there. Going to Texas uh, for a couple days. The big one is in June, and that is not a uh, golf trip that is Alaska so that's going to be a lot of fun going up there for a week and a half and I don't know beyond that 
but that's that's enough travel for me. So we'll certainly have uh, no shortage of places and things to talk about on this podcast. Yep, I'm just going to Providence, Westchester County, New York, Charleston, South Carolina, Southern California, uh, the Smoky Mountains, and the <laughs> Bay Area here in the next two and a half months, Is three that months. That's it. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll be back at you next month.